0: Jokes, and that way they'll think we're having a cool time too. I wish I was up there. Okay, um, if you've got your Bible, um, get it out and turn to Second Peter chapter one, verses three through fifteen. So, starting verse three, it says this. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. So let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Father God, again, we thank you for um, uh, this time. God, we thank you for this place. Um, We even in the hassle and even in the um, um, difficulties and, and of, of of kind of having to change the way we do things around God. um, It is a blessing that we are able to use this place. Um, The, the owners here have been, have been so gracious and we know they are gracious um, to us um, because they are, um, trying to, um, live in a way that honors you. Um, God, they, they want to see, um, people come together in the name of the Lord and to worship together and to uh, live in community together. And so God, we thank you for providing this space for us, um, through them. We thank you for, um, just the, uh, the, the ease and the opportunities and the centrality that we have because of, of this space. Um, God, as we come into this time where we're looking into your word, we ask that through, again, the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would work on our hearts, um, that you would use this time to make us more like Jesus, Um, that we would heed the words of your scripture and that um, these words would change us and form us uh, in his image. Uh, We love you. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... Uh, if you've been with us the last couple weeks, story kind of so far, and, and again, these this this list of of, of um, characteristics that we find in verses five through seven are not necessarily sequential, right? So I'm not saying that it couldn't be the case that when you become a Christian, you grow in all of these areas at the same time, right? It's not like you get one handled and then you move on to the next. Um, that's not what we're saying. But at the same time, there is, I feel like, a progressive connection. There is the idea that these things build on each other. And so if you kind of think where we've been so far, talking about faith, talking about virtue, talking about knowledge, and now talking about self-control. So imagine you know—you have a lost person, um, and, and they come to faith in Jesus, right? They trust in Christ, um, and that faith is always accompanied by Uh, repentance in the life of a believer, right? So it makes us um, sense um, that that there's something wrong with our lives, that we are not living up to the standard that God has set. And so it makes perfect sense that in this passage, uh, when we have faith, when we believe, we add to that faith Virtue, right? We recognize our sin. Our conscience is made alive by the Holy Spirit, and so it starts to revolt against the sin in our lives as new believers. Okay, and so we start putting away our sin. That's the first thing you see. That's why a lot of times when people come to know Christ, something that you notice happen a lot of times is immediately they get rid of big sins, right? Um, that they 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 stop partying or they, they, they put down the drugs that they've been addicted to or they stop leading a promiscuous life or something like that, right? Immediately, they recognize the glaring inconsistencies about their life and they cut those things out. That makes sense. They're, they're pursuing virtue, right? Um, But then um, we notice something continues to happen, right? Now they want to know about this God in whom they have trusted. They want to um, hear from him and they want to learn about him and they want to live in a way that pleases God. And so what do they do? They start trying to grow in knowledge of God. And so they start seeking his word and they start um, um, practicing spiritual disciplines like prayer and and worship and serving and these different things to try to connect um, and, and learn more about God. And so it makes sense that we would add to our virtue knowledge. Then something I think oftentimes happens. Um, even though we have made these huge strides in this in this scenario we're talking about, we notice that there are these nagging persistent sins in our life, right? Um, Probably some of us can remember back to the point at which we were converted, and you remember that excitement that happened at first, right? I mean, you were just like gung-ho, and like you were getting rid of sin in your life, and you were reading your Bible, and you're going to church, and you were doing all these things, and then like a few weeks or a few months in, all of a sudden it felt like you hit a, a wall where you realize, you know what? Some things haven't changed about me, it seems like. Like I'm still falling into the same patterns of sin, um, maybe it's that, that eye glance um, at the pretty girl um, that walks by. Maybe it is that um, when, when things don't go your way, you immediately tend to respond in anger or accusation or attack. Um, maybe that one beer keeps on turning into five and you really didn't mean for it to do that, but it keeps on happening, right? Maybe um, that trip that you went to the store just to get that one pair of jeans ended up being a credit card bill that you're paying off for weeks uh, and months uh, and maybe years, right? Um, all of those issues are, are functions of, of our lack of self-control. All of those things are things that we look to and we go, we need to be, we need to add to our faith virtue and add to our virtue knowledge, but then we need to add to our knowledge self control. Self control is something that everybody struggles with in one way or another, um, and it is an important and yet seldomly discussed topic, right? Which I feel like we keep on saying that a lot. We're like, virtue, you know, virtue is not something we talk about much anymore. Self-control is not something we talk about much anymore. But that's sort of the nature of these things, right? That these are these aspects of our sanctification that we kind of neglect. We sort of put these things in, in, in the background of our lives and don't really pursue them, I think, the way that God calls us to. And so I want to talk about self-control um, today, and, and, and self-control is also a good place to talk more broadly about this issue of sanctification in general because of the very nature of, of not just the concept, but the word self-control, all right? So, so think about this. Um, when we are talking about self-control, we know... From the scriptures that self-control is something that is imparted to us through the spirit, okay It is a spiritual gift according um, to, to the Bible. It is a fruit of the spirit, right So Galatians 5 says, "The fruits of the spirit are." Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? That list is sort of inverted from the list that we're looking at. Love comes at the beginning of that list. Love comes at the end of, of our list. But self-control, which is at the early part of our list, is at the very end of that list. Self-control is, is a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that is um, imparted to us through the Holy Spirit. And yet, it is rightly translated self Control, right? You are active in it, and that's important because there, in the history of the church, there have been um, groups of people, um, uh, uh, theologians and preachers and stuff, who have presented a view that basically said this: the reason why your sin keeps on tripping you up is because you need to just—and there's this phrase that was popular—you need to let go and let God. Right you've, you've probably heard that, right? There was There was a whole movement in, in Christian theology that was called the Keswick movement and, and and there was this idea that basically is this is the deal. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you keep on finding yourself um, struggling against sin, what's really going on is you have not submitted to Jesus Christ fully, right? Yes, you have believed in him enough to be saved but you haven't believed in him enough, you haven't submitted your life to him enough to get rid of that, that sin that is persistent in your life. And if you would just do that, if you would just surrender, if you would just let go and let God control your life, all these things would fall into place, right? And so there was this, this almost this attitude like it was that there was a second anointing that would take place. You had to first become a Christian, and then later on you had to have this other thing happen to you, at which point you would be living faithfully for God, right? You could accept Jesus as your Lord over here or your Savior over here, but but it was another step later on to accept Him as your Lord in your daily life. Um, that idea is still very prevalent in the church um, in a lot of different sectors. And you hear those kind of phrases and things talked about in those way in those ways. Um, but I'm I don't think that's the way it works, right? I don't think that that is, that is what we see when we go to the Scriptures. Now, again, I'm, not, I'm certainly not arguing against the fact that we should be submitting to God progressively, right? We should be submitting all of our lives to God, and when we find places in our life where we are not submitting to God on something, we certainly should. We shouldn't hold on to our sin. We shouldn't um, do anything in our lives that hinders our sanctification, right? But what I see when I read the scriptures is not that, that picture of, of the Christian life. When I read the scriptures, I see this, this picture of continual, active war against sin, right? Sin is something that we continue to fight against progressively throughout our lives. It is not a flip the switch kind of sanctification, right? You don't just like wake up one day and go, all right, God, you win. And then he goes, and then all of a sudden you're this perfect person, right? Who doesn't struggle with these things anymore. And you, and you live um, in, in, in perfect sanctification and holiness. What I see is progressive growth in the scriptures and really progressive battle, in the scriptures against sin. So J.C. Ryle, who was a who was an English English pastor, theologian, bishop um, in the 1800s, said this. He said the child of God has two great marks about him. He is known for his inner warfare and for his inner peace, and that's a great picture of what we're talking about here, right? You have two things going on in your life as a Christian all throughout your life. Number one, you have an inner peace, right? You rest in the gospel. You know that you are saved um, through the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and there's rest in that, right? But at the same time, while, and I'll say it this way, while we rest in the war, we do not rest in the battle, right? We know the war is won, but we recognize that the battle is now and necessary and that we have to continue to fight in it, right? And so that's what's supposed to happen. You are supposed to struggle against your sin. You are supposed to continually fight against it and not come to a point in your life where you just to kind of go, oh, I figured it all out. I'm, I'm enlightened now or something. Um, an analogy would be kind of like this. Salvation is like birth, right? It happens pretty much in an instant. And some of you moms might be going, it didn't happen in an instant for me. It was like an 18-hour process or whatever. But, but salvation happens in an instant, but sanctification is like growing up, right? It is a lifelong process. It's something that doesn't happen in a day. It happens over the course of a lifetime, And so at the same time, um, when we look at all this stuff, we're not saying that God isn't involved in it. So I'm not saying, oh, well... I'm the one who does it all, right? I'm the one who accomplishes these things in my life. No, we're not saying that at all. It is totally dependent on God to work this sanctification in us. And yet at the same time, we are active and cooperating in it, all right? And so I love, some of you are reading the the good little book with us, and it's Kevin DeYoung's book, uh, The Hole in Our Holiness. And so he makes a great, it's a phrase that I use often, Um, And you may have heard me say it, and I stole it from from Kevin Young, and it is this. He talks about spirit-powered, gospel-driven, faith-fueled effort. All right? Spirit-powered, the spirit is the actualizing force that allows these things to happen, right? It's like electricity to a power tool. If you didn't have the electricity, this thing wouldn't happen of sanctification. Spirit-powered, gospel-driven, right? We seek after sanctification. We seek to grow in Christ out of the freedom and the salvation and the belonging that we have in Jesus Christ because of the gospel, right? It's what is pushing us and compelling us to be sanctified, not because we're trying to gain merit and make God like us or something like that, win his approval, um, but because we're responding to God in thankfulness, right? So it is spirit-powered, gospel-driven. It is faith-fueled. Which means we are trusting in God that he is going to see this through, right? We talked about that with Perseverance of the Saints a couple weeks ago, right? We are trusting that God is going to see us through this process and that we are not going to be left to just our own effort to get these things done. But then at the end of the whole process, what's there? Effort, right? You have to do something. You have to act. You have to seek. You have to pursue all these things, Another illustration that the Bible kind of gives us is the idea of a farmer, right? The farmer scatters seed in faith. He can't make it rain, and he can't make the sun come up, and he can't make the plants grow, God is going to do all those things, and yet at the same time, what does he have to do? He has to make the effort to plant the seed, because if he doesn't, if he doesn't nothing is going to happen, okay? And so that's the picture, that balance between um, God's effort and our effort. And, and, and probably balance is not even a right word, right? Because it's not like it's 50-50, right? It's, it is God working in us and us working for it at the same time, right? It's 100%, 100%, or whatever you want to say. We have to seek, we have to pursue, we have to fight. Because what we find is our problem with self-control in general is that we are struggling against our habits, right? And I think that's what we find as new believers and really as old believers, right? Um, We find that we just keep on... we have a default position and we just kind of keep on... Going back to that default position, right, we run to the the same old habits, the same old ruts, the same old um, sinful man inside of us, um, compelling us and pushing us in a certain direction. but that struggle is not just a struggle about getting out of a rut it 's also a struggle that that relates to how power works, and potential works in our lives. And I'll kind of explain what I mean by that by looking at what the word self-control, the way it's translated in, in the Bible, okay? Because there's two words that tend to get translated in different translations as the word self-control. But what I want to do is this. Look at what those words are also translated as, Okay? Does that make sense? So if, if these two words right here both get translated as self-control, but sometimes they get translated as something else, I think that points us to something, right? It points us to the nature of what we're really getting at when we're talking about self-control. And so, for example, the first of those words is prudence, Okay. The scriptures sometimes translate a word, and again, you could find this if you got out different versions of the Bible and read a passage that had the word self-control. Every once in a while, you would find one that said prudence instead of self-control in it. Um, Again, prudence is a word that we don't use much anymore, right? Um, It's an idea that is not um, talked about and not popular, I suppose you could say. But what, what does it mean to be prudent? It means that we are acting with or showing care and thought for the future. That's what it means to be prudent, right? We are thinking ahead, and our decisions right now are being influenced by what we're looking to. All right? So that tells us something about what it means to be self-controlled. Now, again, it's not exactly the same word. It's certainly not the same word in English, um, but the same ideas are in that that word in the original language. Self-control is not just about abstaining from something. Right, because that's what we think. We're like, oh, I can't have that. I can't do that. I can't go there. I can't. I can't watch that or whatever. Self control is not just for the sake of abstaining, because I'll be honest, that's always the way I thought of fasting as as a as a younger Christian. Right, I thought fasting. I'd go and fasting's dumb, right? Um, Because it seemed like one of two things was happening with fasting. Either um, you were fasting. From things you shouldn't be doing already. So, like, you'd come to Lent, and people would be like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop cussing for Lent." And you'd be like, "Cool, man. You should stop cussing all the time, right?" Um, there, there was a movie, and I can't. It, it's been years, but there was a movie um, about a guy who was was promiscuous, and but his brother was a Catholic priest, and so he was trying to find himself or something. And so when it came to Lent, he gave up his promiscuity for Lent. <laughs> You know, And he was like, but as soon as Easter gets here, I'll start back up again. And I was like, man, this is a bizarre movie. Like, I, whoever wrote this movie obviously has no context of what Christianity is about. Um, because those are things you should give up anyway. So sometimes people would do that with fasting. And then the other thing is is they would give up morally neutral things that God had made for our enjoyment. right? So people would be like, oh, I'm giving up chocolate for Lent. And I was always like, that's dumb, Chocolate's a great thing, and God made it. Like he invented that for your good and joy. So why would you reject this gift of his, right? That's how I always thought about fasting um, and self-control in terms of fasting when I was younger. But but here's part of what fasting is about. There's there's different aspects to fasting, but part of what it's about, part of the self-control in that, is training ourselves to say no to our desires. For the sake of some future good, right? That's all we're doing, right? So so with the chocolate thing, you know, you go, oh, I want some chocolate right now. It's not that chocolate's bad, but what you're doing is you're in part training yourself to go, just because I want something doesn't mean I should have it, right? Just because I want this thing doesn't mean it's, it's something that I have to have. That's what part of what fasting is all about. And so I gave up this year coffee for Lent, right? Not because... <laughs> Some people are like, what? What? Um, not, not because coffee's a bad thing, right? I love coffee. We're in a coffee house. I spend most of my days in this building, which is weird now because I have to drink tea. Um, I, I gave up coffee basically because I love coffee and it's not bad for me. Maybe uh, as much as I drink it is, whatever. Whatever. Um, I gave it up because I wanted to put myself in a position where I said, you know what, I don't have to have coffee. Um, I don't have to. Um, I want it, but that doesn't mean I necessarily get everything I want all the time. And so um, it's good to tell my appetites no sometimes right? And that's, that's what we're getting at when we're talking about fasting. And it's what we're talking about when we talk about self-control. And it's getting specifically into the idea of talking about prudence. Um, there might be particular joys that you have that you would that you would abstain from, or food in general. Paul talks about abstaining from sexual intimacy and in marriage for given amounts of time right and you go again, you go, "I thought sex and marriage was a good thing right isn 't this a gift of god isn 't this something that we 're supposed to to be a part of and the answer is yes, it is good, but it 's also good to train your desires to say. I don't have to give in to my desires. Now again, notice what Paul says in that passage when he says that. He goes, don't do this too long. <laughs> okay? Don't abstain from it too long because odds are your lack of self-control will end up leading you into sin. But for short a amount, short amount of time, you can do that. And you can, you can specifically focus on prayer and other things in that, that time period. Again, teaching our minds and hearts to say no sometimes to our desires. So, I, I, the, the key, the connection to the prudence, though, is this. It's not just no for the sake of no, but it's no, so you say no to seek a better and wiser future. So again, sometimes a more general kind of future, sometimes a, a, a specific future in mind. Again, um, in, in terms of sexuality, right, when I was a teenager, the main thing um, that kept me, that that made me abstain from sex, right? The main thing that made me say, you know what, I'm going to wait until I'm married um, before I have sex was not because I was super godly. Um, It wasn't because I just wanted to honor the Lord so much. Um, What it was was the fear of being a teen parent, Right? like I looked to the people that I knew who were teen parents, the people who I knew in my life who were single moms, and I went, that looks hard. That looks super difficult, and that person has had a super hard life because of those things. You know what? I, I, I don't want that right and so i said i'm going to wait until i'm married before uh, i have sex because i'm i'm trying to make a prudent decision on this in all honesty it wasn't a holy decision very much right it wasn't a I, godliness was not my focus primarily but my future was my focus right i was trying to live in the present with an aim for the way, what i wanted in the future And that's what prudence is talking about. The book of Proverbs is a book of prudence. The whole thing is about prudence, right? It's about making young people wise to think about their futures instead of just about their presence. Um, One fascinating thing is, is again, when you look to the book of Proverbs, it is almost always connecting knowledge and virtue to self-control, right? Which then you go, that makes a lot of sense according to the passage we're reading, right? Right. That um, these things fall in line with each other, and so self control is is part uh, partly about denying yourself for a a preferred future but there 's another side to it too, and another word that gets translated self control too and that other word is mastery all right Mastery is the other word that gets translated self control so Um, The the idea is seen in, in passages like 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul says, All things are lawful for me, right? But not all things are helpful. And then he says this, All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God will destroy both one and the other. Right? So that idea, but I will not be dominated by anything. Self control is not only about um, thinking about the future, but it's about mastery of our own lives right now and mastery of our desires right now. So you could think of it like this self control is not only about not being bent to the will of your desires, but it's also about bending those desires to your will right? It's about saying, you're not the boss of my life. I'm the boss of my life, right? And making those desires submit to your own will. Because the reality is, is God has given us drives, right? Um, We have drives. We have these compulsions that we have that almost act on a involuntary kind of level, right? Um, We have a hunger drive. You don't have to teach people to be hungry, right? They just are, right? Babies are born and you didn't have to do anything to make them hungry. They, they, they come out hungry, right? They're already hungry when they start. They instinctively are that way. The same is true of, of our sex drives, right? We have a natural um, d- desire in that place, right? It's not something that we're taught. It just happens, right? In fact, as a youth minister, you see it just turn on all the time, especially with teenage boys, right? Like, they're walking one day and they're like, hey, I'm playing with Ninja Turtles and I I love to watch cartoons. And then, like, two weeks later, they are two inches taller and their voice is deep and they're wearing cologne and, like, and they're trying to, like, mac on girls. Like, and it's amazing. It happens often over the course of a summer, but sometimes it happens over the course of weeks. Like, a kid will leave for summer vacation, and come back for mission trip, and he is a different human being. Why? Because hormonally, a switch turned on in him, right? And all of a sudden, that drive activated, and he didn't ask for it, right? He didn't do anything. It just happened, right? Sometimes that transition is smooth. Sometimes it's terrifying, right? Um, especially for the person in the in the middle of it. But, but we have these drives, hunger, sexuality, um, these different things. Um, and they're less like instincts for us than they are for, for other living things, right? When you see these drives in other living things, um, we call those instincts in animals, right? But, and it, but it's more like programming for them, right? Like they just do what their programming tells them to do, right? The birds fly south for winter or, or animals, you know, uh, uh, migrate to these different places. It's like they're just, they're just doing what they're programmed to do. That's not how our drives work, right? We have wills. We have volition, and most importantly, we are morally accountable for our drives, right? An animal, he's not, a, he's not morally accountable for his drives, right? Um, nobody blames a lion for killing a gazelle. Nobody blames a bull for for trying to get into the neighboring field to mate with, with cows, right? But if you're an adulterer or an a glutton as a human being, you will be held morally accountable for that, right? Even though we have drives just like those animals have drives, and yet our drives are ruled by something else, and that is our will and our moral nature. And so we are called to bring our drives under control, right? To be self-controlled people. And so Paul uses a perfect illustration in 1 Corinthians 9 of an athlete, right? So he says this. He says, "'Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize?' So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating at the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest lest after preaching Um, I should disqualify myself, right? So he he uses all the kind of language that we've been talking about, right? You see in that passage prudence, that the athlete is looking to a future. He's looking to a wreath that he's going to win, right? And he says, in this time, I have to discipline myself, right? I have to live differently right now to achieve something in the future. That's prudence. But there's also mastery going on in that passage, right? If you want to be a next-level athlete, you realize that you have to live a different way. You have to eat different things, and you have to have a different regimen, and you have to have different all these these different aspects of your life. I want my body, man. Everybody that played basketball with us um, for that half a game before I got hurt, right? I want my body to do all kinds of things, and it just won't, right? Like I want it to do things, and it doesn't do those things anymore. Like it's not capable. Uh, you know, we're in the middle of the the, the basketball NCAA tournament, right? Um, and I was looking, I was thinking about jumping, right? Um, and the average of jumping ability of a normal adult male is 18 inches right so if you're an adult male in here you should be able to jump about 18 inches off the ground just like a free like a free jump right the average NCAA Division I player can jump 30 inches off the ground. So, right, like an extra foot on top of that, right? And so you go, man, I couldn't jump 30 inches off the ground if I wanted to. Um, but but pretty much that's normal. Like everybody who's six foot tall and, and can jump three feet ought to be able to dunk. And that's like most of the people in in college basketball. There is a guy on who has set the record with a 36... Inch, I mean, a 63 inch vertical platform jump, meaning they set a platform like a table at 63 inches and he can standing jump and land on it. Okay, 63 inches is a David. Okay, <laughs> all right, this dude can jump over David. All right, um, I can't, I can't jump like. I can't jump 18 inches off the ground. I don't think. Like I'm pretty sure I can't. Right? Why is that? Right? It's it's not just about natural ability, although that certainly plays a role in it. It's because I haven't treated my body like an athlete treats his body ever. Right? I have never trained myself and dedicated myself and disciplined myself to be able to achieve those kind of things. Um, so, it, it, yes, it is about natural ability for those athletes, but it's more about mastery, right? It's about somebody saying, I want my body to be able to do things that most people's bodies can't. And so I'm going to sacrifice now to see that through. And so we seek after self-control, but, we, but not only mastery in our lives, but we do that again to achieve this greater potential. And so that might mean doing big things. We sacrifice and we master our lives so that we can do big things, or maybe it just means that you do little things really well, right? But you are you are self-controlled for a greater and better and, and, a, and a future that, that God has called you to. So I'll close with this because I told you we were going to be done early and we're not. Um, that was a wishful thinking. It always is, but one of these days it's going to happen. You know, all the rain lately, right? Um, we've had all this rain and all this flooding. Did any of y'all go downtown when we had that... One big time, right, and it had flooded all the park was flooded. Anybody go downtown so I took the the girls and, and James and we went down to the bridge that 's there next to basically right over here, one of these bridges here, and we stood there and looked down into the to the creek that runs behind Vienna, and the entire municipal park where the amphitheater is was flooded. The water came almost up to the municipal uh, to the to the amphitheater, right. Uh, it was it was completely covering everything. Uh, it was filling those tunnels, you know, the little tunnels that you go through on your bike. It was to the top of those tunnels and running under the tunnels, right? And I had James there with me and we were looking over the edge and he couldn't see, so I popped him up on the on the 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 edge, right? But I like held him and I was holding him tight because I was looking down and I was just looking thinking Man, there is so much power there, right? Like, I've got to hold on to him tight because if he, something happened, he would be gone. He would hit that water and it would, and it would zoom him off, right? And there would probably be nothing I could do about it. So I'm sitting there holding on to him tight and thinking how powerful that water is rushing under there, right? This incredible amount of power. The truth is, is our lives and our drives are like that river, Right, it is, it is incredibly powerful and it is pulling us. And if you are not careful, you can be swept away by it. Right? If you get into that water and you dabble in it and you think, no, I got this under control and you, and you, you give those desires some leeway, they will sweep you away. They will grab you and they will take you away. Um, but at the same time, it's not just that that power that we see there needs to be guarded against, right? So that's true. We need to be careful, just like I was careful with James that day. Uh, We need to be careful about the power of those desires. But we need to do something more. We need to master those desires. We need to master that power. So in the illustration of the river, it isn't just being careful around a river, right? We can use the power of the river to work for us, to transport goods or grind grain or, you know, make electricity or whatever the case is, right? Our lives and our desires are meant to be the same way. If we pursue self-control, we will not only um, keep from being swept away by our sinful desires, which is important, but moreover, we can master our bodies and our lives. We can master our drives in the cause of serving God and serving our neighbor. And so, and what we will find, I hope, is that our lives will end up being more fruitful and effective in the pursuit of holiness, right? And that's what we're dealing with in this passage. And that's what we're going to pray right now that God would do. So so we're going to have a time of prayer. And and, uh, I'm going to ask Cody to come up. And and again, to to clarify, we're singing In Tenderness, which is the song that in the bulletin is under um, the Lord's Supper um, section. But that's what we're going to be singing as our closing um, hymn. But before that, I just want us to go and, and go to the Lord in prayer for a few minutes, right? You know your hearts better than I do. Um, ask the Lord to show you, and you probably already know, those places that you lack self-control, right? Those places that you find yourself easily slipping into excess, or anger, um, or lust, or greed, or, or whatever the case is. You know those places that are easy for you to slip into. So ask God that He would work on those things in your life. Ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit that he would work self-control in you so that we could be people who live lives that are self-controlled and called according to his purposes. Let's do that now.